What is behind this great act of unity which we see being acknowledged and lived out across the world this morning? How is it that Christians coming from a diversity of cultures, denominations, and kinds could in reality claim a oneness in Jesus Christ? What makes that possible? Hasn't the apostle given us a negative clue or put it in the negative in that second half of the ninth verse when he talks about anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him? Or as the New English Bible has it, if a man says he is a Christian and does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not a Christian. If a man does not have the spirit of Christ in him, he is not a Christian. The Bible rarely gets so forthright in declaring who is and who is not a Christian. But we can be very clear at this point because we are brought into a living relationship with Jesus Christ only through the work of his Spirit. So if that Spirit is not actively at work within us, then we can safely say we are not a Christian. Now to describe that kinship, well, to talk about that kinship with Christ, which is the true kinship, the real kinship, which is through his risen spirit, we have to first do some explaining. We have to explain because Paul says in the eighth verse of this passage that for those who are in the flesh, it's impossible to please God. If you're in the flesh, it's impossible for you to please God. So at first blush, that seems like a most uh, difficult statement in the sense that we are all uh, trapped by this covering we wear, we are in the flesh, and some of us are getting fleshier all the time. So when the apostle says it's impossible for those who are in the flesh to please God, what is he really saying? If you read the rest of the passage, you will see that he often says those who live according to the flesh. That's his favorite way of putting it. Someone who is in the flesh is not someone covered with skin, though we all are, but someone who lives according to the dictates of the flesh. Someone whose mind is set on the flesh. And what is it, what is it like to live according to the flesh? To live according to the flesh is to follow the dictates of your own desires. It is to be guided by your glands and dictated to by them and to simply give in to the natural you apart from any influence in Jesus Christ. That is what it means to live according to the flesh. Now, over against that concept, he introduces the concept of living, of the living spirit within us that rescues us from the flesh which would drive us to death. Indeed, in the first verse of this eighth chapter, he introduces the concept of our being in Christ. It is a new idea, but it is at the heart of Christianity. Twenty times, then, he goes on to talk about the Spirit and Christ, and he uses the terms interchangeably. 
The Spirit, then, is not an it, not an object. The Spirit is a person. The Spirit has the same qualities and the characteristics of Christ. Indeed, the Spirit is Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, now present with us, and if we will let him present within us. These are so diametrically opposed, the apostle said it's like thinking about life on the one hand and death on the other hand. Why? Because the person whose mind is set on the flesh is hostile to God's law. Indeed, that person cannot and will not submit to God's law. It is an impossibility. In Corinthians, Paul says the natural man or woman simply cannot accept the, the leadership of God's Spirit. For the natural person, God's Spirit is foolishness. It's to talk about something that is not real. Because the things of the Spirit are spiritually discerned. That's what the student had in mind one day when he challenged this professor. The professor was holding a Bible aloft, ridiculing its teachings, calling them contradictory, and seeing all kinds of textual problems. The student, who had finally had all that he could, stood up and said to the professor, Sir, the things of the Spirit are spiritually discerned. The Bible was written for believing children of God, and the reason why it seems so meaningless and contradictory to you, sir, is because you're reading somebody else's mail. And that's what it indeed is like. For the person whose mind is set on the flesh, it's like reading somebody else's mind. That, that person is hostile to the laws of God. Indeed, that person cannot submit to God's law. John helps us at this point because he refers to us as those who have been born of God, born from above, born of the Spirit. In other words, he said, you are not born of the flesh, nor of the will of the flesh. Now, to be born of the flesh, a Christian, a child of God, would be generated. You are generated as a Christian. It would not be regenerated at all. To be born a Christian would to, be, would to have the good fortune of belonging to Christian parents and to assume from that that you are also a Christian just by virtue of biological descent. Now, Jesus had something to say about that. You recall, he said, why, God can raise up children to Abraham out of these stones. Don't go claiming uh, who you are just by virtue of your genealogy, your descent. He was calling them to respond to who they were in relationship to himself. We have a commission right now studying the meaning of baptism in our church. It's a national commission. They came for a hearing in the Texas conference not too many days ago, and I had the opportunity to go. I read the draft. One of the things that some of them are proposing, it will not pass, by the way, but some of them are proposing that when a child is baptized at the altar of the church, when Christian parents offer a child at the altar to be baptized, that not only is that child initiated into the body of Christ, which we believe, 
but that child becomes through that process a full, complete member without any necessity for confirmation at the age of responsibility. They go on and talk about affirming that or whatever, but, but they become full and complete members. And although there are some theological problems related to it, we believe a child is brought into the body of Christ through baptism, that parents have decided for that child that they will belong to the kingdom of God, just like we decide that children are going to be citizens of the United States of America. We don't wait until they're 12 and ask them if they'd like to take out naturalization papers. We decide for them these important questions. But we maintain they are not full and responsible members of the body of Christ until they accept for themselves Jesus Christ as personal Savior, until they say yes to his call to follow them, to follow him as a disciple. And so here are these people who would like to make uh, becoming Christian just to be born of the flesh. I, I wrote them a letter. You'd be proud of me. I kept my cool. <laughs> I, I, I just said to them, listen, to, to assume that just because someone grows up in a Christian home that that automatically makes that person a Christian is to assume that you can lay eggs just because you grew up in a hen house. <laughs> you cannot make any kind of assumption like that. Jesus isn't talking about all those people who grew up in a Christian home or kin to Jesus. That isn't kinship at all. We aren't, that's a blessing, but it's not true kinship. We aren't those who have been born of the flesh into the kingdom. That's not the way you come to the kingdom. More than that, he said you aren't born of the will of the flesh which is another way of saying you can learn all you want to learn and you can work as hard as you want to work and that's all well and good, but by your own efforts you can't make it. You will not come to true kinship in Christ because of your perspiration, your own efforts. I remember reading how Asbury once said to some preachers, just remember this, the devil doesn't care how much you read as long as you don't pray. It doesn't matter how much you learn or how much work you do. If there isn't a living relationship between yourself and the Spirit of Christ in you, then the true kinship about which I'm speaking is lost. More than that, this kinship is not a static or a wooden affair. Sometimes we treat it that way. There are those who somehow feel that, that since we have the Bible uh, God may as well go off and die. Well, maybe not die, just be the enforcer. Just crack the whip and bring down the curtain. I think about that story I told you a month ago about a classmate of mine who serves a large urban church in another city. I shared with you how, in spite of their best efforts, their son got mixed up in drugs. Finally, he began to deal in drugs and was apprehended and sent to jail. And there they were, like so many have been. They had done the very best they knew to do. They had brought their son up in the church. They had a Christian home. And still, in spite of their best efforts, their son had succumbed to the temptations of the flesh and of this world. And he was in jail. They said their church rallied around them and helped them, but not all. There were those in their church who wrote letters to others and to him saying, 
It's obvious that you don't have control over your, the members of your household as the scriptures say you should. Therefore, you should step out of the pulpit. You aren't worthy to preach the gospel. And I thought about that verse of scripture. You know, if you don't have the spirit of Christ, you don't belong to it. You may memorize the Bible from one end to the other. You may be like these people. You may be a spiritual marine, and you just can't wait to be a part of the mopping up exercise. You want to be there to see people when they get it in the neck. You can have all of the zeal in the world and treat the Bible like a, like a dead set of rules that God has given. Therefore, you don't need anything else. You got the rule book, and you've forgotten about a living relationship with Jesus Christ. I remember an Old Testament professor once who said God has four primary attributes. There's the attribute of judgment, vengeance, forgiveness, and blessing. Now, God invites us to share in two of those. Guess which two God wants us to share in? Not vengeance. He said, vengeance is mine. I'll repay not judgment, God judges. God invites us to share in forgiveness and in blessing. That's where we find the spirit of Jesus. Look at the story of the woman who was taken in adultery. Their hands were itching to throw those stones at that poor woman. They brought her and threw her at the feet of Jesus, those Pharisees. And they said, Lord, we caught her in the very act of adultery. Didn't say anything about her companion, and it takes two. Just said, Lord, we caught her in the very act, and the law is clear at this point. The law says, stoner, what do you say? And Jesus said, let the one who is without sin among you cast the first stone. One by one, they dropped those rocks and walked away, and Jesus was left alone with the woman. He said, woman, where are your accusers? Has no one accused you? And she said, no, man, Lord. She could have said their own sins convicted them. He said, well, I don't condemn you either. He said, go and don't sin anymore. See, he didn't let her off till he lifted her up. Go and don't sin anymore. But he came to bring good news, not bad news. He came to bring the good news of forgiveness and reconciliation with God. The law couldn't do that. The law reveals sin. The law condemns sin. The law gives us a prescription for holy living, but the law is powerless to produce that holy living. And so Jesus Christ came in flesh, the Bible says in sinful flesh, with all those desires and all the same glands we have, and still he was without sin. And he conquered sin through his death on the cross. He, he deposed sin. He, he took away the dominion of sin. And now through faith in him, we can share in his triumph over it. 
We are called then not to a dead set of laws, but to a living Lord. What then becomes of the law? Is it discarded? Not at all. Now, properly related to Christ, we have the wherewithal to fulfill the just requirements of the law. And what does the apostle say about those who do not dwell in the flesh, that is, follow the dictates of the flesh, but who have the Spirit of God dwelling in their hearts? What does he say about them? To them the Spirit gives life and peace. What greater gifts than those? You recall when Jesus was comforting his disciples on the night before he died. He said, I'm going to pray the Father and he will give you another counselor or comforter to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because the world doesn't see him nor know him. The world follows the desires of the flesh. But he said, you, you have seen him and you know him and he is with you. And Jesus was with them, the Spirit of truth. He is with you. But then what did Jesus say? And he will be in you. What did he mean by that? He means after he died on that cross and rose from the dead as a spiritual being, he would come to indwell the life of every believer. The good news is, not only is he with you, but the even better news is, he is going to be in you. And whenever and wherever the Spirit of Jesus indwells our hearts, we have life, not death, and we have peace, and we have joy. How can that be? One man has said, a vine does not produce grapes, because of an act of parliament. A vine produces grapes because of the life in that vine. We produce the fruits of Jesus Christ only when his life is in us. When his spirit is in our hearts, then we produce his fruits, not because the preacher makes a demand, not because the Bible makes a demand, not even because God makes a demand, but because Christ within us is doing his thing and producing those fruits of righteousness that we saw in his gracious and godly life. Wherever people have let him have his way, there has been life and there has been peace. Today, as you receive his body and his blood, pray also that his spirit may fill your heart with his love and power. Amen. Hear the prayer of consecration. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who of thy tender mercy didst give thine only Son, Jesus Christ, 
to suffer death upon the cross for our redemption, who made there, by the one offering of himself, a full, perfect, and sufficient sacrifice for the sins of the whole world, and did institute and in his holy gospel command us to continue a perpetual memory of his precious death until his coming again. Hear us, O merciful Father, we most humbly beseech thee, and grant that we, receiving these thy creatures of bread and wine, according to thy Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ's holy institution, in remembrance of his passion, death, and resurrection, may be partakers of the divine nature through him, who in the same night that he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of this, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Do this, as oft as ye shall drink it, in remembrance of me. Amen. We do not presume to come to this thy table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in thy manifold and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under thy table, but thou art the same Lord, whose property is always to have mercy. Grant us, therefore, gracious Lord, so to partake of this sacrament of thy Son, Jesus Christ, that we may walk in newness of life, may grow into his likeness, and may evermore dwell in him, and he in us. Amen.
body of our Lord Jesus Christ, broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of him and be thankful.
the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ poured out for you. Drink this in remembrance of him and be thankful. just a moment we're going to sing our closing hymn we're going to give those persons who have expressed an interest in joining our church a desire to join we're going to give them that opportunity for the doors of our church will be open but I want to speak just now to those persons who had not planned to join the church today but who have felt the leadership of the Spirit calling you to that decision We cannot begin to have the Spirit of Christ within us until we become obedient to his call. So I'm going to ask you when we sing our hymn to come and say yes to him, and we'll be pleased to receive you. Could we bow our heads for a prayer? O Lord, through your broken body and your poured out blood, we have been brought to a greater realization of who you are. But we remember just now that you also rose from the dead. You are alive. You are a living person in your Holy Spirit. Moreover, you earnestly desire to come and make your abode with us, that we may be strong enough to resist temptation, that we may be strong enough to stand against the forces of the world and the flesh that would pull us down and lead us not to life, but to death. Give us grace then, O Lord, to respond to the highest and the finest, even Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Now will you stand as we sing our closing hymn. Good morning. I want to thank you for worshiping with us today. I hope you have the Spirit of Christ in your heart. And if you don't, I hope you'll pray that He will send you His Spirit. Life gets mighty tough, even under ideal circumstances. We need the friendship and the power of Christ. Thank you for worshiping with us.
Dr. Henson, I am pleased to introduce these persons who unite with us today, Jackie and Brett Dyer. Debbie Capehart unites with us today. Her husband, David, is a member of the Texas Annual Conference. Gilbert Pollard, David Gray, Lisa, and Pat Whitley. To all of you, we extend a warm First Methodist welcome. I'm going to ask you now if you'll repent of your sins and accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And if you will, say, I will. And will you demonstrate your commitment to him by supporting his church with your prayers, your presence, your gifts, and your service? And if you will do these things with a glad and thankful heart, say, I will. And I rejoice to welcome and receive you into this fellowship. 